As you know, this is Super Sunday. And no, I'm not going to be preaching about football today. But you know, in any game, whether it's football, basketball, soccer, baseball, or the game of life, it's very important that you know what counts and what doesn't. I can get out on the football field and run round and round in circles and throw the ball a hundred yards and think I've really done something and the official stands there and says, doesn't count. I can make the most amazing basket on the basketball court and think, wow, aren't I something? And the official blows a whistle, doesn't count. I want to talk to you today about things that count in life. I don't know about you, but I don't want to invest any more of my time, money, energy, or resources into things that don't count. Do you hear me? I've done enough of that in my life. I've invested a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort, a lot of energies into things that I've now found out the referee bloat blowing his whistle saying, doesn't count. I want to start us off in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, and you might be a little amazed to see how many times Paul uses this expression in his letters, things that count and things that don't. Galatians chapter 6, look at verse 15. Very interesting verse. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Wow. I love that verse. Now, let me give you a little bit of background here. When Paul talks about circumcision, he's using it probably in a much broader sense than the way it first appears in the Bible. Because God made a covenant with Abraham and his descendants, and the seal, the sign of that covenant was circumcision. It was an outward cutting of the flesh. It was an external sign of their covenant with God. But in many of Paul's writings where he's trying to argue the difference between external religion and an internal transformation that can only come through faith in Jesus Christ, he uses that term loosely, circumcision. So we might translate this, no kind of external religion means anything. It took me a long time to understand that. And maybe I'm still learning. 
But God is not the least bit interested in externals alone. He looks at the heart. He has x-ray eyes that can see beyond all of our religious talk, our religious fakery, our religious dress and religious whatever. God is not interested in religion. You know, I'm so thankful, literally days after I became a Christian, I can't even remember who gave me the book, but somebody gave me a little book, and I still remember the title of it. How to be a Christian without being religious. It really helped me from the very beginning of my Christian life to understand the difference between a relationship with God and just being religious. Going through the motions. And I had plenty of that as a child growing up. Going to an Episcopal church, sitting in a pew, not having a clue why we were standing up, sitting down, standing up, sitting down, what these things were that we were reciting. I had no idea what I was singing about. It meant nothing at all to me. And by the time I was 16 years of age, I was gone. I was out of that place. It was a waste for me. And the amazing thing is, after I truly got born again and I got saved, I went back to that same church with my parents and I shook the hand of the preacher who had been in that church for years, and as soon as I met him and told him that I had met Jesus Christ and I'd been born again, I realized by looking in the man's eyes, he had never been born again. What a waste! Putting on all the robes, lighting the candles, reading all the liturgies, not even saved. Paul says none of that means anything. The only thing in this game, if I can use that word, that counts is a new creation. Bible says if any man, of course that includes women, what's any mean? Any. Not any. Mean any? Any. If any man be in Christ, he is. A new creation. Old things have passed away. A few things become new. Help me out. All things become new. Now let me diverge just a little bit, but you'll understand why I'm so passionate about this. If you can't believe in Genesis 1-1, you can't believe in a new creation. Look at how the devil has gone right for the jugular. He's attacked Genesis 1-1. Our schools are filled with lies and fairy tales now about evolution. It is not science. It is mythology. And our poor kids who have to sit in these high schools and colleges and listen to this stuff, oh, it's science, it's science, it's science. No, it isn't. There is no scientific basis whatsoever to prove that everything randomly came about through evolution. Overwhelming proof and evidence everywhere we look in the universe that in the beginning God created. If you believe in Genesis 1-1, then you can believe that there's a new creation that God wants to bring in your life. But if God can't create planets and stars, 
he probably can't recreate you either. And that's what the devil has attacked. The Bible says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Satan doesn't mess around with the shingles. He goes for the foundation. We're often messing around with the little shingles and the window dressings. The devil knows what to, what to destroy. He goes after foundations. The foundation of God, my creator, is essential to the Christian life. And I've even talked to Christians who say, well, pastor, you know, the, the universe is billions of years old and it came about through a big bang. Oh, really? Show me that in the science. It's not scientific. And these guys will stand up in the college classes like they know what they're talking about. They're not. They're, they're telling fairy tales. The Big Bang I love. Everything came from an explosion. How many of you have ever seen order and design resulting from an explosion? Have you ever seen that happen? What do you always see when an explosion takes place? Confusion, chaos, destruction. You never see order. You never see beauty. You never see design. But it gets even better. And I like to press these guys whenever they start talking about this stuff. Wait, 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 wait. Where did it all begin? Oh, well, there was a, a little thing they call a singularity. They make up these words, right? What's a singularity? Well, we're not really sure, but we think it was a wrinkle in nothingness. Sounds scientific, right? A wrinkle in nothingness. You know what it sounds like to me? Foolishness. Foolishness. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, Paul said. So this singularity of nothingness, let's assume that there was one. Where did it come from? You see, you got to keep going back. Where did it come from? How did it originate? Well, we don't know, but it was just infinite energy in this little wrinkle of nothingness. How many of you have ever found infinite energy in nothingness? I wish I could. We all know energy doesn't come from nothing. But once upon a time, sounds like a fairy tale to me. And you got to have a lot of time. 13.7 billion years ago, that singularity, pow, exploded. And we had stars and planets and galaxies. And little by little, here on Earth, chemicals just started to come together. And I like what one creation scientist says, we went from goo to you. <laughs> All that goo in the ocean started to organize itself. How many of you have junk in your house that organizes itself? Have you ever seen that happen? What happens to a neat room within three days? It's a mess. And the science backs that up. The science says the whole universe is running down. It's becoming more chaotic, more disordered. It's not ordering itself. And so this thing of 
Creation versus evolution is a very important foundation that we need to keep hammering home with our children and our young people because if that foundation can be destroyed, everything else is up for grabs. If Genesis 1-1 isn't true, why is John 3-16? Why is anything else in the Bible true if the first three chapters aren't true? And so this thing of a new creation further strengthens, for me, the importance of us knowing clearly the doctrine of God Creator. He created everything, not out of a wrinkle. He called everything into being out of nothingness by His mighty power, supernaturally creating all things. And when Paul is teaching the church about the new creation, it's very interesting, we don't have time to look at it, but in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 is where he talks about becoming a new creation in Christ. He actually quotes from Genesis 1-3, and he says, God who spoke into the darkness, remember, what did he do to the darkness? Let there be light. He likens that to what happens when the light of the gospel comes into us. Because we were full of darkness. We were void. We were empty. We were messed up. We were in disorder. We were confused. And the word of the gospel comes and God says, let there be light and let there be life. And a new creation comes to pass. If you can't believe in the first creation, you'll never believe in that one. But listen to what Paul is saying, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically, no external religion counts. The only thing in this game that counts is the new creation. That's why when Jesus was talking with Nicodemus, he said, you know, It'd be a nice idea for you to consider being born again. Is that what he said? He said, you must be born again. That's a word Jesus didn't use very often. He didn't get into people's faces and say, you must do this. But he did with Nicodemus on that point. He said, you'll never see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You'll never enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of water and of the Spirit. You must be born again. Nothing else counts. And I I love when I ask people, "Are, are you a Christian? If there's any hesitation, I know the answer. Well, you know, okay, thanks, I already know. My mom and my dad, I already know. But I go to church, I know, I already know the answer. You can always tell. Are you a Christian? Yeah, man, I was born again in 1965. Never been the same since. Okay, good, you're saved. Are you born again? Actually, the literal translation is even better than most of the Bibles get it. Are you born from above? Are you born of God? Is God your Father? 
And John even goes into this in his first epistle, that we are born again through the seed of God. Greek word sperma, through the seed of God. We're born of God. We're actually transformed. We're a whole new creation. Must be born again. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. This is the only thing that counts, my friends. Make sure you're born again. Make sure all of your kids are born again. Make sure your family, friends, anybody is born again because nothing else counts. But, but pastor, I'm a good person. Doesn't count. I never killed anyone. Good. Doesn't count. I, I give a lot of money to the poor. That's great. Doesn't count. In the end, there's only one thing that matters. Are you born of God? Is God your Father? Okay, good. That counts. That counts. Look at this next passage. This really blessed me as I was meditating on this this week. Ephesians 4 Starting with verse 22, Ephesians 4, from 22 to 24. Anybody besides me ever get a little bit upset with who you are, the way you act, the way you behave, sometimes responding in anger, thinking selfish thoughts, bitter thoughts or whatever? Am I alone? Oh, I got one, two friends, two friends, praise the Lord. Follow very carefully what Paul is saying here. He's writing to Christians. He's not giving an evangelistic message. He's talking to born-again believers. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self. Remember, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. But there's something you and I have to do. We've got to take off the old clothes. Put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. Now freeze it there for a minute. You know this thing is all about attitude. It's all about attitude. It's not about externals. And whew, sadly, God can see our attitude. My hand's already up. Did anybody else in here have a stinky attitude at all this last week? I'm, t I'm just talking stinky. Ugh. Yeah, we get them. And you know, the attitude affects your life. It affects the way you treat people, the way you talk. It, it filters out into everything you do. So a bad, stinky attitude is going to produce a stinky life. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. But Paul, how do I do that? Look at the next verse. Put on the new self. What's the next word? Whoa. Wait. Created? I got to create it? No. This isn't my creation. It's his creation. 
put on this new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, can you imagine if I had a shabby, torn, smelly old jacket up here and a brand new, nice, shiny jacket? The one represents my old life, the old self, and the second one represents this new self that's just like God. Which one do you want to put on? We have to put it on. This is something you and I do by faith. Put off the old, put on the new. This new man, this new woman, this new self, and of course it's a new attitude, is created to be like God. And I like the next words. In true righteousness. You know, I think Paul put that word true in there to differentiate between real righteousness that can only come this way and the fakey kind that we do when we're just being religious. Oh, we can put on a show. How you doing, brother? Oh, hallelujah, I'm in victory. <laughs> no, you're not. We're so pious and holy and righteous on Sunday. Oh, my God. But is it true? It'll only be true if it comes this way from the new creation. Nothing else counts. Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I don't know about you, but when I read verses like this, I understand why David, in the, the midst of his trial and his repentance before God, he cries out, Lord, create in me a clean heart. I can't do it on my own. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. God, change my attitude. Change me from the inside out. The only thing that counts, not religion, not circumcision, not uncircumcision, a new creation. Look at the second one. I'm going to go through this pretty quickly, so don't worry. You'll get home in plenty of time for your Super Bowl hot dogs and dip and whatever else you're doing. My wife, God bless her, she doesn't know a thing about football, but she's all excited about the Super Bowl today. She's been making snacks and stuff since yesterday. <laughs> she's got enough to feed an army, and it's just three of us. <laughs> Second one, John 6, verse 63, the very words of Christ. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. Again, if you are going to be watching the football game today, you'll see the guys out there in the little stripe suits. They got power, man. All they got to do is blow a whistle and say, that doesn't count. And these guys that are making $50 million have to go, oh, okay. They have power. They're the refs. They're the officials. They decide what counts, what doesn't. Oh, your foot went out of bounds. That, that was a fantastic catch, but it doesn't count. 
how much energy and thought and attention we give to the flesh. Sorry to break the news. If I had a whistle, doesn't count. It's out of bounds. The flesh counts for nothing. Why? Well, a couple of things. God is spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Everything about the kingdom of God that Jesus came to establish, it's a spiritual kingdom. He says it's not visible. It's not external. And I, I love to go through the verses. There are many verses in the New Testament that talk about what the kingdom of God is not. <laughs> there are a lot of parables that help us understand what it is, but the Bible also says a lot about what the kingdom of God is not. And for those of you that are going to be having Super Bowl snacks, I don't want to mess all that up, but the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. <laughs> oh my, how much of my time and attention goes into that one? Kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's spiritual. In 1 Corinthians 15... Paul goes a little further and he says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's not fleshly. It has nothing to do with the flesh. That's why Paul in Galatians 5, we're not going to go into all this today, but you know the verses. He says there's a war. It's an all-out war between the flesh and the spirit. And you probably felt that war, especially during our 21-day fast. <laughs> The flesh goes by the refrigerator, says, call off a fast. I want that. Feed me. There's a war between the flesh and the spirit. There's only one way it can be won, and it's through the spirit, capital S. The Holy Spirit will help us crucify the flesh with all of its lusts, all of its desires, all of its worldly Thoughts, which by the way, in Romans 8, Paul says they're opposed to God. The flesh is opposed to God. And we are not debtors to the flesh, we're debtors to the Holy Spirit. We owe something to the Holy Spirit. We don't owe anything more to the flesh. So, the flesh really counts for nothing. In another place, Paul says... If you sow, in other words, if you invest in the flesh, you're going to reap. You're going to reap destruction. But if you sow to the Spirit, you invest time in seeking God, memorizing Scripture, praying, fasting, worshiping, singing, getting closer to God, having fellowship with God, devoting time to corporate prayer, corporate Bible study, growing in the spiritual things of God, then you're going to reap life eternal. And he basically says, it's up to you what you want to sow. Sow to the flesh, reap destruction. Sow to the Spirit, reap everlasting life. The flesh just doesn't count in this game. 
It's a spiritual game. It's a spiritual kingdom. And we must walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, obey the Spirit, allow allow the Holy Spirit to help us crucify everything of the flesh. Now, we're not going to rip all the meat off of our bones just yet, but that's literally what the word flesh means in Greek. Wherever you find that word, and I really don't like the NIV because it changes it to sinful nature, which sort of communicates it, but in the original it's just the flesh. This physical meat on our bones, our body, our our physical part. The problem is, it's the easiest thing to see, and we feel these appetites and these desires in our bodies, but really, it doesn't count. Third, I like this one. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 19. Third thing that does count is obedience. There it is again, circumcision and uncircumcision. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Here again, I think we can sum all that up and say, religion is nothing. Just outward religious acts in and of themselves are nothing. Well, what counts then? Keeping God's commands is what counts. The prophet Samuel gave a very powerful rebuke to King Saul after he had disobeyed, directly disobeyed God's orders that he gave to him. The prophet said, to obey is better than sacrifice. We can do all kinds of religious good stuff We can lay on a bed of nails, stay on our knees for 15 hours, fast for 21 days. We can do any number of little sacrifices, but if we're not obeying the Lord's command, it doesn't count. Just like that official, out of bounds, doesn't count. What God wants from you and from me, after all is said and done, is obedience. It's what he's always wanted. He never changed his mind and he never will. God is forming a kingdom out of subjects who will obey him. They will submit themselves to the government of God, to the rule and the reign of God, and follow his law. His law now for us is the word of God. It's the law of the Spirit. What did the Holy Spirit tell you to do today? That's the law. We can't write Ten Commandments up on the wall because it's not that simple anymore. Now it's obey the Holy Spirit. What is the law of the Spirit in your life? When you seek God and you pray and you say, Lord, what is your will for my life? Well, when He reveals it to you, are you going to obey Him? (laughs) James says, be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. A lot of people come to church and they end up deceived. 
not the church's fault. It's their own fault. They deceive themselves. They have their heads full of Bible verses. Oh, they can quote them. I've known people that can quote this book forwards and backwards, and they're full of demons. I'm not making this up. They can quote the Bible forwards and backwards, and they have no life whatsoever with God. It's more than quoting Bible verses. It's doing them. Jesus talked about building on the rock and building on the sand. The guy who builds on the sand knew as much as the guy who built on the rock. They both knew a lot. But one did and one didn't. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Spend time every day. Lord, what do you want from my life? What do you want me to do? That's really what it's all about. I can do 10 million different things. They may sound good. They may impress other people. But if God is not telling me to do it, it doesn't count. It's like that fantastic catch that the football player makes. Uh Uh-oh, but one foot was out of bounds. Doesn't count. We might impress a few people, but it doesn't count. All right, on to number four. I think I've got five in my list here. Galatians. Let's go back to Galatians. This seemed to be a, a common concern in Paul's own mind. What counts and what doesn't? Remember, he had spent years as a Pharisee. He had years of religion in his resume. And I think he came to the point where he realized it doesn't count. None of it counts. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. For in Christ, here it is again. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. But you notice each time he adds something different at the end. Different things count, but This stuff doesn't. Circumcision, no value. Uncircumcision, no value. So whether you're very religious or non-religious, you can add it all up. It has no value. The only thing, say it with me, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Only thing that counts. And you know, some people, they try to start this argument. Well, Paul and James, they were fighting with each other. Because Paul says we're saved by faith and faith alone and not by works. And James says we're saved by works. So they were, they were fighting with each other. And they were in direct conflict. And there's one of the many, many contradictions in the Word of God. No contradiction whatsoever. They're both saying the same thing. What they're both saying is the only faith that matters is faith that works. Faith that works. James would say, okay, you believe God, that's great. If it doesn't result in you doing anything, then we can safely assume it's dead. (laughs) Faith without works is dead. 
He's not contradicting Paul. Because in Ephesians 2.8, where Paul says it's by faith, it's a gift of God, not of works. He goes right on in verse 10, he says, it is by works. We're saved unto good works, which God prepared beforehand for you to do. So if you claim you have faith and you're not doing any, anything with it, sorry, it's dead. The only thing that counts now is a faith that works. King James says faith that's working through love. NIV says expressing itself. Same idea. But it's not good enough to just stand here and say, I believe. I believe. I got all kinds of faith. Well, what are you going to do with it? How is your faith being expressed? How is your faith working? And I mean, I've given the simple, kind of a silly illustration before, but I think it makes the point. If we're all here, and Fauci comes running in, and he says, uh, the building is going to blow up in 30 seconds. Get out! Oh, I believe you, Fauci. I believe you, brother. I've always believed everything you've told me. I believe you, and I keep right on preaching. What happens in about 30 seconds? My faith is dead, really, because I just blew up with the building. And so did you, if you didn't believe him. If you believe, I'm not trying to scare you today, there's no bomb scare. If you believe, you'll get up and run out of here. If you believe that there's a hell coming for sinners, you'll repent and run to the cross. That's the difference between real faith and fake faith. Oh, I kind of believe in Jesus, but you know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of on the fence. I still like the world. I still like, you know, the stuff that I do. Yeah, it's not real bad. I don't kill anyone, but you know, I, I kind of like living for myself and doing my own thing. But I believe in Jesus. No, you don't. Your faith is dead. Wake up. If you really believe, flee the wrath to come. The Bible says, run to God. Run away from your sins. Flee fornication. Flee idolatry. Flee all of that life of sin and get close to God. Faith that works is what counts. Faith that expresses itself through love. Now, I don't have time to develop this one today, but I want you to kind of chew on this this week. Notice it takes faith to love. That went right over some of you, so I'm going to repeat it. It takes faith to love. Now, please don't raise your hand and point to your husband. <laughs> but most of us very likely have someone in our circle that's hard to love. Do you all understand what I'm saying? Don't look at him. Don't look at your husband. Don't poke him. The husbands are poking back. Maybe a boss. Maybe a neighbor. But there are people who, quite frankly, are difficult. They're hard to love. Guess what you need? Faith. So that you can express love. Faith. Expressing. Working. 
through love. I want to finish with this fifth point. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3. And here I think you're going to see clearly this same apostle who wrote all these verses about what counts and what doesn't count. He had done a very careful inventory of his own life. He did a lot of counting. He did a lot of calculating in his own life to figure out what matters and what doesn't. What's important and what isn't. What counts and what doesn't count. Philippians chapter 3, let's pick it up from verse 7. But whatever... What's whatever mean? (laughs) Paul had a lot of whatevers. He had a lot going for him. He had a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge. He had a lot in his resume. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider, I like the King James better, it uses the word count instead of consider. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider. Can we change it to King James? Hopefully we can get by the these and thous and loveths and all that. But What things were gained to me, those I counted. He did some calculation. Some kind of calculation. He looked at all the stuff that he thought was important in his life and he calculated with this new way of calculating, it's all loss. All counted loss for Christ. Keep going. Yea, doubtless, and I count... Help me. Oh, come on, not all. I count all things but loss. Compared to, for, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them, there it is again, count them but dung, that I may win Christ. In the original Greek, by the way, that word dung is stronger. You can use your imagination. And to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, that's the circumcision part, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain under the resurrection of the dead. Keep going to verse 14. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. There it is again. Brethren, I count. What counts? 
I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things behind, the rearview mirror stuff, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to close with this thought. After all is said and done, there's only one thing that counts. It's Jesus Christ. To know Him, to love Him, to serve Him, to be found in Him, to be ready to meet Him when He returns. It's the only thing that counts. And you know, He talks about pressing and running and moving toward this prize. A lot of people today are running. A lot of people are pushing, pressing, striving, chasing, all after the wrong thing. I like Solomon's metaphor better than any. They're chasing after wind. Chasing after wind. Chasing after stuff that just doesn't count. It doesn't matter. And if you're one of those people, there's still time to change course. Sit down like Paul did. Do an inventory. Count what you think you have is important and then compare it with the excellency of knowing Christ, a life with Christ, winning that prize, which is Christ. Christ is our prize. A lot of people get mixed up on this. Oh, I'm going to go to heaven one day and I'm going to lay on a cloud with a harp and eat grapes and listen to angels serenade me and I'll look at the pearly gates. Well, that may be a, a factor, but all that really speaks about is the glory of God, the beauty of Christ. What did we hear in the special song this morning? You are beautiful. You are wonderful. You are glorious. That's what we're running for. And if I had to say in one sentence, what is it that really counts, Pastor? It's simple. Christ and Christ alone. And you know, Jesus didn't use the exact words, but I think it's the same thought that we're developing here today. He says, what does it profit a man? What does it count if a man gains the whole world? Man, that's success. That's way beyond you can fill in the blanks, whoever the wealthiest people in the world are today. Some of them are dead. And I'm sure they would like to come back and tell you now they didn't take any of it with them. By the way, there's an interesting little piece uh, that was released from Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, multi-billionaire. What a miserable man. What a miserable man. He died a miserable death. His life was miserable. It was meaningless, empty, and hopeless. And we want to be like him. We want to be a billionaire. Oh, if I can be a billionaire pastor, that'll, that'll do it. That'll put me over the top. 
then I can really be happy. Billionaires aren't happy because of their billions. Millionaires aren't happy because of their millions. What does it profit a man? Listen to that word, profit. What does it count if you gain all this and lose your soul? And in the very next verse, Jesus talks about when he comes again in his glory. We'll be there with all of our gold and all of our silver and we'll realize, whoops, I missed it. I was more enthralled with my riches, with my worldly stuff. And I forgot this is a spiritual kingdom. God is a spirit. Flesh doesn't count. Religion doesn't count. All of my so-called good works don't matter. What God is looking for is simple faith in Him that expresses itself through faith and love and obedience. Whatever you say, Lord, I will do. Even if you tell me to love someone who's unlovely, give me the faith so I can do it. By the way, coming back to that point of loving by faith, a lot of people, when they come to this issue of forgiveness, oh, I can't forgive her. I can't forgive him. Just can't do it. Well, there are a lot of things you can't do. There are a lot of things I can't do. But by faith, we can do all things. And people who have gone before you, who faced far worse, the ultimate one, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. He was able, I think by faith, to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So the act of forgiveness is really an act of faith, and it's faith expressing itself through love. Let's all stand. We had a we had a preacher come to our school chapel on Friday. He's an older man. He's been in the ministry for 50 years. And I, I was so blessed by one thing that he shared. And of course, in the context, he was speaking to young children and uh, teenagers. But I'm going to translate it a little bit so it may, means a little bit more for us. Basically, what he said is we want high-impact, low-maintenance Christians. <laughs> I like that. High-impact, low-maintenance. Ask any pastor on the planet. They'll tell you it's just the reverse. They have churches full of high-maintenance and a few that are having any impact at all. May God stir us up to give our lives for what counts. To give our time, our attention, yes, even our money, for things that count, not things that don't. Now, I'm not saying you're sinning if you go home and eat something today. We must eat. But understand, eating and drinking is not a part of the kingdom of God. We have to take care of these bodies. The Bible tells us to do that. But just understand, the flesh doesn't count. What counts is the Holy Spirit moving, working in your life, revealing things to you, talking to you, flowing through you, using you to pray for the sick, to preach the gospel to someone else, to maybe save them from hell. That's what counts. 
That's what matters. So I want to pray today that we can be a generation of high-impact, low-maintenance Christians. And he also asked the young people, he said, what do you want to be? A blazing torch for Jesus or a twinkle, twinkle little star? Oh, I'm a Christian, but I keep it to myself. Nobody knows. It's my little secret. I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. So I just keep quiet about my faith. I, I mind my own business. While people all around me are going to hell, I mind my business. Hear what you're saying. I'm minding my business while they're all going to hell. Let's stop minding our own business and start doing the Father's business. He said, go into all the world and be a twinkling little star. No, let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Father, we pray today that we would be a people whose lives count. God, I pray that we can begin to make choices in our lives to stop investing so much in things that don't count and invest in those that do. Lord, I thank you that it all centers around the first thing we talked about here today. It's a new creation. You want to totally recreate us. Make us new creations in Christ. Born from above. Born of God. Putting on a whole new attitude. A whole new self created to be like God. Lord, I pray that we can begin to obey your word. Not just listen to it. Not just talk it or memorize it. But help us to obey the things that you speak to us. Put them into practice and be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Lord, help us to have a real, living, vibrant, energetic faith that expresses itself through acts of love, through acts of kindness, doing things for other people, even though we're not going to get anything in return. We might even be persecuted in return. But help us to have that working faith. And most of all, remind us each and every day that the only thing that really counts is Christ and Christ alone. Help us to run after Him. Help us to seek Him with our whole heart. Help us to ready ourselves for His soon return. And Lord, just as Paul, we, we say the same, if by any means we can attain to that resurrection from the dead. We want to keep pressing forward, forgetting whatever's behind, all of our failures, all of our fears, all of our mistakes. We leave it today. We want to press forward for that prize to win Jesus Christ. Lord, bless each one today. Let this word settle into our hearts and make us doers, not hearers only, of your word. Bless us and make us a blessing throughout this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you all. Happy Super Sunday. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.